Kate's like, I don't know where to go with that one. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm Stephen A. Smithing this. I'm just gonna step back and ignore everything and just let it play out. Jay, Jay has learned when the topic gets to uh, conservatism, he just goes, "Yeah, we probably shouldn't have this conversation." Cool. Yeah, at least you're not skipping listening. It could be a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> Shit, Bayless. Hello. Uh, hello. Welcome to the completely unprepared podcast. My name is David. I'm Jordan. I'm Kira. Brock Osweiler. Yes. <laughs> oh. Oh, Brock. Okay. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. That kid is so bad. Uh, yeah. The thing again that I have against Brock Osweiler is his throwing motion is just absolutely awful. Like, everyone's like, oh, what was he thinking throwing into that triple coverage? And my contention is that he probably didn't even see the triple coverage because he's throwing, rotating his body like he's got giant 1980s shoulder pads on. He looks like he's throwing like John Elway or Doug Flutie, all those old guys, but because they couldn't get that full range of motion because they couldn't get their shoulders up all the way. And so he's he's dropping his head. So he can't see what's going as he's releasing. So it's no surprise to me that he's throwing into random spots because his throwing motion is so outdated and garbage. It's because he used to be the tallest quarterback <clears throat> in the FBS when he was at Arizona State. Duh. And that's fine. But keep your head up. Look where you're <laughs> throwing. Put your arms up and throw with a proper motion. It's so hard saying this, but I mean, cause I mean, you know, in the division, Denver's what three and five, and Kansas City's at like six and three or something like that. Oakland's four and five, whatever. So it's not like you know, it's absolutely terrible, bottom of the barrel. Like we are the worst team ever. We're not the Browns. No, you're um, in the worst spot that there is to be because you're yeah. awful. There's no chance of making the playoffs, and you're gonna have a shitty draft pick. Yeah. So it's. It's hard to say this though, but I feel like just this whole like complete issue that Jay has with Brock Osweiler and like his mechanics is very emblematic of how like the past couple of years have been for Denver and especially this year between just like Trevor Simeon and I feel just like this whole entire team not maybe not the whole team. Our defense is still very good and that side mm, of the ball yeah. is pretty great. And you look at the numbers and statistically, because I was comparing like just looking at team stats for Denver and then its opponents. And it's not terrible. I mean, there's no obviously like terrifying discrepancy outside of sacks and tackles for loss allowed. Um, but I just, I feel like the offense, like just, the, just doesn't know what they're doing. And it's, it's hard to kind of watch because everybody's kind of running their own game on this offense and everybody's just kind of doing what they think is best and there's no cohesion. And that comes from having a strong central leader. Like this is exactly what we were talking about. And everybody will be the first to admit that, you know, 
yes, Peyton being on that team contributed a lot to their success, but Mm -hmm. ultimately it was more his role as like being able to convene everybody and get everybody on the same page. Yeah. Um, Especially in his later seasons. Yeah. And people will listen to him. Like all the players listen to him in that locker room. And now, I mean, there are still some leaders. There's still some bets on that team. Um, But next week with that Patriots game is going to be, um, yeah, I think, I think I'm free. No, actually. Yeah. My, uh, my class ends about half an hour after that. So, um, it's going to be a rough one on Sunday. You have that bottle uh, ready. Ready. Yeah. That'll (laughs) be my, uh, my one day where I'm allowing myself supposedly three or fewer drinks. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, push this too much, but here, here's the problem that Denver sits with is you guys, you guys have an amazing defense right now and you guys have a yeah. piss poor offense, <laughs> but you're, you know, how many more years of that amazing defense are you really going to have? Yeah. So, how old is yeah. Talib? How old is uh, uh, Davis? <sighs> Wait, Davis? Oh, Todd Davis. For the record, by the way, uh, Akib Talib is 31 years old. Von Miller is 28 years old. Well, I mean, it's hard because you have a lot of actually, like, now that I look at this, you know, there are a lot of guys who have three, four years experience kind of hovering around there. Um, which really means it's going to be hard to pay them. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult because you have a lot of these guys that have played for one of the top defenses in the entire NFL. I mean, even just looking here, you have Zach Kerr. Yeah, he's been standout, and he's only been in the league for four years. At the, like Todd Davis, you reference, he's been there for four years. A lot of these guys are really starting to kind of come up into. Okay, yeah, I've played on this team, like. Yeah, they're gonna they're when, gonna go off and do the Danny Trevathan, Calais Campbell, you know, I'm I'm at my spot, I'm gonna go make my money now thing. Yep. Where, for for <clears throat> referring to your point of age, by the way, um the oldest players on that team, uh besides or the some of the oldest players, I'm not gonna say the top ones because they're not interesting. But uh Keeb Talib, thirty one, Jamal Charles is thirty, Emmanuel Sanders is thirty. Um, Demarius Thomas is 29. Uh, Chris Harris is 28. (coughs) Brandon Marshall's 28. Von Miller's 28. Yeah. So you got some guys that have been there for a little while. CJ Anderson's 26. Um, however, some guys that have been there. I would like to push back on, on, on one thing here because, because the, the assertion here is that, uh, um, where I'm saying the, the issue with them is that by the time they get the offense in order, the defense is going to be old enough or fragmented uh, enough that it's you're going to be just right at the same spot, just at the middle of the line on both sides of the ball. Yeah, so. it's going to be really hard to sync up. And actually, it's really interesting you bring up that point because I feel like the Broncos are one of the teams in the past couple of years who have tried to focus on, you know, mm-hmm. offensive production. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what like I, you have. I was just gonna say what I think is 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 stereo is like like they've been a team that is focused on offensive production just from the stance of they had 
you know, arguably the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. Yeah. Um, and they had pieces around him that, you know, were built in a way that, that, that were able to show off what he could do. But one of the things that I've, I've been hearing lately over the past week as, as a criticism on the Broncos is that, Oh, John Alway isn't actually that great of a GM that he doesn't actually really know what he's doing. He just got lucky because he had Peyton Manning. And then, you know, that just kind of, you know, hid the fact that he wasn't doing that well. Well, he's been the GM since 2011. And wow. so, and so all of these young guys that we're talking about on defense here, like the, the, the drafted players, that's, that's him. And, and, and signing a keep to that's him, uh, you, you know? And, and so I guess while I look at it and I go, you're going to run into the problem where by the time the offense gets its shit together, like the defense is going to be aging. I also have no doubt that the guy who, you know, who assembled this team to begin with, uh, can't identify those same things in the future. So I, I almost like look at this team and just go, uh, you know, what'd you say? They're three and six, three and five, something like that. Three and five, three and five. Like you could push for, for, you know, a 10 and six, a nine and seven season. I mean, you really got to get to 10 and six in, in the AFC. Uh, yeah, well, and that's that's the thing too. I mean, you bring up a really good point. There's been a lot of, I think, ire towards a front office, and that's an easy blame to lay. I mean, it's easy for fans to just be like, "Yeah, they're not the Browns. he's on touch. He doesn't know." Yeah, I mean, literally, we were just talking about earlier today. Like, we can always hate on the Browns' ownership. Like everybody, that's a, such a common storyline. But I think what's also a really good point too is you know when Peyton came in. Uh, it was a big transition period for the Broncos. And I think you see a lot of these teams also trying to figure out how to transition because NFL is a little different than, mm-hmm. I mean, with college, you have so much crazy every single year. You don't know what coaches are going to stay outside of like, you know, obviously the ones who have been there for fucking ever Kansas state, whatever. And like, but when it comes to the NFL, that sort of turnover didn't used to be as frequent but I feel like lately it has become a lot more frequent so you're seeing a lot of fresh faces in these coaching staffs and a lot of the coaching staffs from the NFL are starting (laughs) to go back into college because there's money to be made there um whereas there really didn't used to be so it's it's a lot I mean a lot of these teams are transitioning too I mean you know you have especially in that particular division the Rams not the Rams, um, the Chargers, they are going to be, obviously I just mixed up two LA teams, but the Chargers are going to be transitioning a ridiculous amount for the next five, ten years. Yeah, yeah. Well, but well, fortunately for the Chargers, what they have is they have an up-and-coming defense. They have Ingram, yeah. they have Bosa, uh, I think, uh, was it Verrett who hurt himself earlier in the season? Like, he'll be coming back. You know they they they're in a much better spot than I think uh, some of these other teams are in, but I I even just like you know as we're talking about this in on the Broncos like I I just looked at their depth chart and I'm just like clicking on their players it's like Brandon Marshall's six years uh, six year vet you know yeah Derek Wolf six year vet like like all these players were brought in under Elway why are we giving him such shit all of a sudden just because 
you know, they haven't they, ah. really. It's it's one position that they haven't figured out. No, yeah, and I and I think that uh, the the main issue that I see for Denver, I, I definitely don't put anything on Elway, but uh, I think what Denver is going to have to face is the same problem that the Steelers went through uh, over the past you know decade or so that they were very much established as the defensive team, a very with that stout defense, yeah. and then just over time because of cap space and you know re- retiring all that, and they got so focused, you know, Steelers got so focused on the offense that all of a sudden they had this great offense and they had no defense. So I, I I think that that's the concern for the Broncos is that they're heading kind of in that direction. Like they're so afraid of this offense that they have. I think a lot of it too goes back to the coaches. I mean, you know, yeah, there's a great, you know, can say John Elway has been there since 2011 and things like that. But even just since 2011, we've had three different head coaches. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Each of which has a very, very diverse style. Whereas with the Steelers, I mean, that shift that you're talking about pretty much came between Cower and Tomlin. That's true. Like, that's really, that was once Cower started kind of not losing control, but once that team started to go in that direction, he was like, okay, you know, it's time for a shift. The NFL, the league is changing. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. the style of play is starting to change, and they kind of recognize that. And I think a lot of teams recognize that in the past, you know, in that, gosh, that's already, like, what, six, eight years ago. Yeah. And that's what great coaches do, yeah. is that they have that ability to pivot and when they st- start seeing yeah. things changing, which is the biggest praise that I actually will ever give to uh, Nick Saban, is that he is so good at seeing things changing and recognizing the situation <clears throat> and adjusting to that. Uh, no matter it's how much he hates it, ridiculous how how smart he is about that and how he anticipates things coming mm-hmm. like three four years down the line. But like, it's not that he goes to these kids when they're freshmen in high school because obviously you know NCAA restrictions and stuff. But it's not that he's like okay, this like I'm gonna set the tone. It's more like. He's so in tune with his players and he's always so grounded with what's going on in that program and so involved that he sees it firsthand. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, a lot of, there's some NFL coaches. I feel like NFL, it's easier to see that, but college, you don't see that nearly as often, especially with the shift that it's been experiencing lately. Yeah. And you you can see his changes in recruiting too. Like, uh, you know, back in like 2010, that whole around that time, he, he was just getting monstrous looking dude, just big dudes, which great strategy, but they were too slow. So they were yeah. getting beat. And that's the same point where he started talking about how much he hated the spread offense and how it was ruining the game. And, you know, y- yeah. your thought is, oh, well, now I know how to beat Nick Saban. And then all of a sudden you start seeing him recruiting all these like linebackers that are slender and tall and they're like yeah. they look a lot more like safeties and now they're just this fast aggressive powerful defense year in year out because he just changes his recruiting to match yeah. the game so he's just so good at that adjustment and you know making <clears throat> recognizing what he needs to do to win regardless well, of whether he likes it or not and the thing with that too is he sets the storyline so oh, much yeah. like how bill belichick will set the storyline in the nfl year after year like they are the ones that other coaches look to and that if they start to kind of make a shift in how they draft or in how they recruit, 
everybody else will scramble and be like, we need to follow this. We need to do exactly that. And Not it's, Mike Leach. it's just Hot Mike Leach. Oh, Mike oh. Leach is a leader. Where's the quote book? Let me see if I can pull that up. <clears throat> All right. When asked about the officiating after Texas Tech's Gator Bowl victory over Virginia, Mike Leach said, I do not comment on officiating. I just give out hams is what I do. <laughs> Wait, what? I do not comment on officiating. I just give out hams is what I do. <sighs> yep. That's, I mean, first of all, now I'm picturing. Um, you get week. a honey ham and you get a honey <laughs> ham. Best Christmas ever. <clears throat> You know, oh, oh, I would like a Mike that, that was uh, that was two years before uh, <clears throat> Jay Z and Kanye West came out with "Watch the Throne" and they made the song "Ham." Mike Excellent. Leach was first. Mike Leach first. is a pioneer <laughs> and a Viking. How how did Washington State fare this past weekend? Yeah, Wazoo yeah. twenty four, Stanford twenty one. I thought <clears throat> Stanford was going to de- decimate Washington State because Washington State has looked very vulnerable up the gut. Because uh, they're, 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 their middle defense is blasé. Uh, Hercules Mata'afa, he plays with a chip on his shoulder, and when he lays down the boom, it's great, but he absolutely overcommits. So that hole always opens up. But uh, kudos to them. You know, they managed to keep Bryce Love in check for the most part. Well, I mean, outside of the Arizona game, that was the most points that they'd, you know, allowed all season because Arizona exploited that. And that's because obviously Khalil Tate, like when you have a quarterback like that and a defense mm. where that weakness is right there in the middle, like Arizona just completely came out and crushed it two weeks ago. Whereas, I mean, previously Washington <laughs> state held Oregon to 10, uh, well, they lost a shit ton to California, um, mm. held Colorado zero and then Stanford 21. I mean, I didn't even see how Bryce Love did in that game. He had one touchdown, 16 carries for 69 yards. Um, so obviously, you know, like still the lead, nice. But yeah. um, well, I think it, uh, and I think that you have to look at the Oregon game to understand why Stanford uh, got beaten here and why he got held in check is because they knew it's going to be a one-dimensional offense and they were able to adjust because that's exactly what Oregon has. Stanford has a much better one dimensional offense, but um, yeah, it's just when they know what you're going to do, they're like, all right, well, let's just hold the, hold the line at the middle yep. and we can give up the side cause they're not going to hit it. Yep. Fewest rushing yards that Bryce love has had all season, not counting when he set out against Oregon state. So <clears throat> good job, Mike Leach. You can give out a ham to Bryce love. Oh, <laughs> uh. What else happened in, in I guess, college? Uh, Ohio State lost. Yeah. yeah. That, was that, that was one where, I, mean, I actually, I'm not even going to lie, I watched only the first two quarters, first half, I guess, that's a thing, um, of that game. So I didn't see, but the whole entire time you're looking at the score and you're looking at Iowa start to run it up and you're just like, okay, at some point Ohio state's going to put the stop down. Like at some point they're going to show how they were against Penn state. They're going to come out with that fourth quarter. Like, you know, urban Meyer is going to make whatever adjustments. And I mean, I was not exactly the hardest team 
to stop. I mean, yes, they've had some high-scoring games this year, but they only broke 40 so far against Iowa State and Illinois. Um, so you just kind of kept expecting, like, okay, Ohio State's going to come back. They're going to shut it down. No, Iowa just kept scoring. Mm-hmm. And that was just – it was it was weird to watch. Speaking of, uh, Husky fans are all up in arms right now because uh, Joey Galloway uh, – you know, he said he he praised Wisconsin while at the same time shitting on UW. Uh, I guess they're both UW while shitting on Washington uh, because Wisconsin generally schedules pretty heavy or pretty good out of conference, and Washington hasn't scheduled anything good for a very long time. And Washington fans are all up in arms because, rightfully so. I mean, th- this is a fair argument. The reason why for this year and I believe last year, it might be next year. Uh, the reason why their out-of-conference schedule is so shitty is because they scheduled Wisconsin for a home-and-home, and Wisconsin pulled out on them. However, regardless of that, prior to that, uh, Wisconsin has opened up against plenty of top 10 teams. Like uh, They've opened up against Alabama, Florida State, all these other ones. They consistently schedule big games, whereas... The past three seasons, Washington's marquee out-of-conference games have been uh, Boise State, uh, Eastern Washington, and Rutgers. The home-and-home with Rutgers. So four years that their marquee matchups are uh, an FCS team, a G5 team, and Rutgers twice. You can't make the argument that you you often schedule great teams when those are the top matchups that you have every season. I mean, cry all you want about Wisconsin pulling out, but that doesn't make up for all these other ones that you've consistently been scheduling. And credit where credit's due, they also have pretty good uh, matchups in the next few years. Uh, I think they have Michigan, they have BYU, they have, uh, I think they'll have Ohio State eventually. Yeah, no, you're right. And And Boise State isn't a dumpster. Yeah, but when it's your marquee over the past four years, yeah, that's enough. not that's not pretty. Yeah, I do want to go back real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time that Iowa football scored more than fifty points was actually in twenty fifteen. They won over North Texas sixty two to sixteen. Mm. Prior to that, in twenty thirteen, they beat Western Michigan. 59 to 3. Last time in Big Ten play that they scored more than 50 points was in 2008 at Minnesota. They blanked the Gophers 55 to nothing. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. So, no. uh, Kirk Ferentz. That's embarrassing for Ohio State. I mean, if they weren't already bar- embarrassed enough. But, yeah. Uh, Ferentz is just such a weird coach. Every season, you can expect him to win zero games or win coach of the year. <laughs> there, there's no consistency to it. Well, I think a lot of that, I mean, this goes back to exactly what you were just saying about Wisconsin. A lot of that goes back to the Big Ten and A, how each year, like interleague or interconference, or I guess interdivision or interconference play shakes out because Wisconsin's con or Wisconsin's league. Division, there we go, whatever, 
Wisconsin's division has never been historically very strong, whereas when they made the divisions um, into East and West, like even before the divisions, the other teams in the Big Ten West were never, you know, the big powerhouses out of the Big Ten. And then in Big Ten East, you obviously have Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State. um, And then the weirdness that is always Indiana that you can never count on. Um, No, yeah. So, I mean, when you have Kirk Ferentz, who's been around the Big Ten for, you know, feels like longer than I've been alive, that man is just, I mean, he hasn't really been around how many years. Hold on. Uh, he's been their head coach since 1998. So when you've been around wow. the Big Ten that long and you see these other teams and you see how all of these other teams have really evolved, mm-hmm. like... Big Ten's had a big banner year this year, too. And it's hard because now the narratives have changed to, like, did the Big Ten lose out? Are they not going to be in the CFP? Like, this past weekend really kind of screwed them over. And that's the media line that's occurring now, much to the chagrin of the Big Ten, I'm sure. But leave it to Iowa. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't going to be Iowa, it was going to be another team that's just kind of weird, like Northwestern or even, like, probably. Maryland or Indiana who just have a weird game against you in the middle of the ground Big Ten team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's always those weird shakeups that just are out of nowhere. And uh, you actually almost hope that the team that gets the upset turns out to just be awful. So that way it's just yeah. even more exciting. Like uh, with, with, with Iowa State beating Oklahoma, that's actually looking better for Oklahoma now because uh, it turns out that Iowa State's actually a pretty decent team. But, yeah, uh, it would have been so much more juicy if they were one and eleven with that one being over Oklahoma. Yes. Also, uh, speaking of the CFP picture and uh, interesting teams, UCF is undefeated still. Uh, they have <laughs> Connecticut and Temple coming up, which are meh teams. But after that, they're going up against uh, Charlie Strong and USF, which is a very good team. And uh, if they manage to go undefeated, there is a chance that we could see the first G5 team in uh, in the playoffs. God bless Scott Frost. Scotty Frost. Oh, oh, man. That would actually be great. Well, it and it's so, I think <clears throat> the really interesting thing with UCF, and even USF too, to an extent, is the storyline of them coming into the season um basically they were two and oh until weeks week six right because yeah. three of their first five games got canceled yeah um and made up obviously as well but you have a team that comes from you know this has been a really tough year for just the entire state of florida outside <clears throat> of the gridiron and now you have teams like ucf usf like really making a huge case for themselves in the American athletic conference. I think it's great. I think Scott Frost, I mean, definitely, you know, the winning out is a huge, huge part of it, but you've only got the three games and it's ending with USF. And what was USF's one loss this year? Um, I believe it was to Memphis. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. And that's uh, a stout team too. Yeah, and you which got beaten by UCF, yeah. forty to thirteen. So it's like, 
Who no, but yeah, I'm excited about that one. That's that's the one interesting thing too is even if they do win out, that where they're at now because they're at what are they 18 in the rankings something like um, that? They are sitting at 18. Yes. Yeah. So pretty much everywhere from even just looking at it now, everywhere from 12 down is completely up in the air. You could even argue everywhere from like 10 or nine down is yeah. still going to be hard. You know what? What else? Speaking, just speaking of uh, Florida and how in Florida is right now. Um, if you look at the records of all the teams in uh, in uh, Florida, you have UCF and USF at the top. Then, or no, sorry, actually, you have Miami, yeah. UC, UCF at the top. UCF or USF is right there with one loss. Then you have uh, Florida Atlantic which is one game away from being bowl eligible. And then you have Florida and Florida State at the bottom. Oh, God. When's the last time that fucking happened? Uh, with <laughs> both of them, a long time. Yeah. Uh, well, for record... Um, for one of them, probably not the, as Flor- long, but for both Florida of them. State, Florida State has been bowl eligible for, what, 34 years? They have by far the longest uh, bowl game streak. And it's about to be snapped. It's go. It's coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm I'm happy that they rescheduled that Louisiana Monroe game at the end of the season because I am after after how this season has gone for Florida State, uh, especially after that blowout loss to Boston College, <laughs> which still was just scintillating. Um, yep. As you guys know, I, I love me some Louisiana Monroe. So even though they haven't they haven't been as, as up as they yep. could be, but um, you know they had a tough loss to South Alabama. But it's it's going to be it's I'm really excited to see. Just well, that's also I can't remember the last time that both those teams were that bad. For the record, uh, the last or the top the longest active uh, bowl eligibility streaks in college football right now you have florida state at the top with 35 and then you have yeah that's about to end 35 straight about to come to an end uh but behind them is virginia tech at 24 so they have 11 years on the next person behind them and now it's about to yeah now virginia tech's oh is virginia tech gonna be bowl eligible uh, they're in the rankings right now. They are 17th, just ahead of UCF. So um, they, I'd imagine they are already bowl eligible, right? Let's see. Yes, they're 7-2. and two. Yeah. So they're going to advance to 25, whereas Florida State's <clears throat> going to go back down to zero. Georgia's going to go on, who is number three at 20. Oklahoma is fourth at 18. And then LSU is uh, fifth at 17. Yeah, it looks like everybody else behind them is going to be going what about maybe maybe BYU will we'll, I don't know where they're at so <laughs> they're f- first in the independence looking yeah. forward to this weekend which game are you guys more excited for Notre Dame Miami or TCU Oklahoma oh. uh TCU Oklahoma and that's just cuz I really like watching the Sooners play and Kenny Trill that's very true i yeah if it wasn't for Kenny Trill I would say, I don't know, I'm kind of excited for Notre Dame. Um, I've always, like, 
it's so hard because being like growing up in Michigan fan, you always just are like Notre Dame's overrated. Um, <laughs> but that's going to be a really good one. I think <clears throat> just with how Notre Dame's offense has been performing and an undefeated Miami. I mean, that's always going to be a draw. Yeah. Notre Dame, interestingly enough, uh, having a great season, despite the fact that uh, they have the chance to have played four of the, uh, the five um, P five conference championship depending on how things uh, play out, but they played against Georgia. They played mm-hmm. against USC. They play, they're playing Miami and they're playing Michigan state, all of which have a strong chance of being the uh, winners of their conferences. Uh, so kudos to them for doing very well so far, despite yeah. facing those teams. Well, and it was just a one point loss to Georgia as well. Um, yeah. Was it 2019? Um, right. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think that's the big thing too is, you know, we were just talking about shifts in offense and you've really seen Notre Dame adapt really, really well to a physical rushing offense and power running game. And like, I think the, I haven't really seen a whole lot of Miami actually this season. Um, it's not been pretty. Well, and that's the thing. They're still seventh. Yeah. I mean, they, they're still undefeated. Uh, which kudos to them, but it's been struggle win after struggle. Uh, last week, not included because uh, they they had a pretty good run in the last game. What are they? Who did they play? They played uh, they played Virginia Tech, beat them twenty eight to ten. That was a pretty good one. Um, but you know, before that, it's twenty four nineteen against UNC, twenty seven nine or yeah twenty seven nineteen against Syracuse, twenty five twenty four. In a very last-second win against Georgia Tech, twenty-four twenty against Florida State. Like it's just all these close struggle wins, and it's just like, well, um, hard to hard to really think that you're a great team when you're beating nobody and not beating them well. Yeah, they've they've swung a lot too. So I I don't know. I think I think that's a. I'm probably more excited for that. I mean, the TCU Oklahoma game though, that's definitely going to be. Like, I, it's very, very close as far as between those two, just because, like you said, Kenny Trill, Oklahoma, but also TCU always, always, always has the opportunity. Like, they are definitely one of the teams that you kind of always predict to shake up the picture. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, and that, that game has shootout written all over it, too. And I love watching a good shootout. Oh, seriously, it's beautiful. Yeah, th- I mean, those will be some interesting games. I think those are going to be like the two best. <clears throat> those two in particular are going to be the two best ones for college. Um, you know, we, we already mentioned you got Iowa and Wisconsin. You also got Georgia and Auburn. Uh, um, that that game is going to be, I mean, not so much from the actual matchup standpoint, because I really do feel like Georgia and Auburn are two very different styles. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how they adapt for that. Mm. But more so for the college football playoff narrative of, you know, if if Georgia loses or if Auburn wins out, or no, it's more so if Auburn wins out, would they accept a two-loss SEC team in the CFP top four or whatever it is over, like, if Washington wins out and they're only a one-loss Pac-12 team? Like, that's been Absolutely. a big thing that a ton of people have been talking about this past week. I, I say absolutely. I mean, because if Auburn wins out, they'll have beaten Georgia and Alabama yeah. to get there. Yeah. And Washington will have beaten Rutgers. 
Yeah. I mean, so that's the, where that's where I think you know that would be an interesting matchup, just in terms <clears throat> of if Auburn pulls that off, then they actually have a very good shot at being a two sh- two loss SEC team. Well, and it, and if you want some idea on how important this game is to the people of Auburn, I'm looking at ESPN site right now, and there's a category uh, on the far right column called tickets. Uh, it takes you to vivid seats. The um, Georgia Auburn game is the only game on this ticket list that's above two hundred dollars. <laughs> the next ticket price is below one hundred. Wow! So they're yeah. they're oh no 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 I'm wrong I'm wrong I just found a one. Uh, Notre Dame Miami is one fifty three. So Notre Dame Miami is one fifty three, uh, and this is from right. So this is the low price one. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, Auburn Georgia is two fourteen. So like those those Miami are... also has a pretty small stadium, don't they? If I'm not mistaken, uh, I'm not familiar with it. Which mm-hmm. one? Hard, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. It is capacity sixty five thousand. Yeah, see. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> when you compare it to some of the uh, compared to like ones. Nebraska Stadium and shit. Yeah, because like meanwhile, if we if we're looking at that whole thing, like I would. If we're just looking at terms of the value of this, the ticket, not including the size of the stadium, yeah, I think Michigan State at Ohio State would be much more expensive than that. Oh, definitely. Uh, That's actually because... going to be one hell of a game this weekend too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm stoked for that. That's going to be a great thing to wake up with on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, hundred and two thousand. <clears throat> yeah, that exactly. plus also Oklahoma State, Iowa State. Those two nine a.m. games are going to be awesome mm-hmm. to have at nine a.m. So, um, meanwhile, I do see the same ticket information and NC State Boston College, five dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's a top twenty-five team too. Oh man! Oh no, no, I, I got you beat though. Virginia at Louisville, four dollars. Woo! There you go. <laughs> you can go see a Heisman winner. Nope. Here you go. Here $4. you go. Here you go. Arkansas State at South Alabama, three dollars. Let's go right. Wait, Kansas at Texas, two dollars. Wait, are you serious? That that's that's actually surprising. Yep, I see that right there. That's actually surprising. Didn't who just beat Texas this past weekend? Um, that was because I remember that being like a weirdly interesting good game. Um, TCU. There you go. Never mind. Got it. But it was only twenty four seven. So that's where I think it was the interesting. Late scoring after they came off of a very dominant win over Baylor, but um, yeah. which, by the way, sad story out of the Big Twelve. Uh, Kansas fucked everything up and let Baylor not have an, a winless season. Oh, I know. Thanks, Bill we all... Snyder. Or no, no, that's, that's Kansas State. Sorry. Yeah, I don't. I don't think even people in Kansas know who uh, the head coach of Kansas is. I saw a video a couple years ago where uh, someone. Journalists went around the campus for Kansas, and they were just asking people about the football team, and nobody knew anything about it. Like they're like, "What do you think of this player?" And then people were like trying to give like an opinion on him, and they're like, "Really?" Because that's a basketball player. Oh God! <laughs> oh God! Uh, well, David Beatty has been the Kansas Jayhawks football head coach since 2014. Yeah, uh, since the since the 2015 season. Um. They did go winless in his first year. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, also, whenever I actually Googled who is the head coach of Kansas football, it auto-completed with, are you sure you don't mean Kansas State? <laughs> <laughs> and showed Bill Snyder in the search tool. So, Yeah. Uh, actually, out of the two schools, I feel worse for Kansas State. Because, like, yeah, they have a mediocre football team that every now and then shows flashes of greatness. But uh, they don't have that Kansas basketball team that they get to fall back on. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, in Kansas State, like, you know, most of Kansas just to begin with, okay. But, like, Manhattan, yeah. Yeah. um, I cannot think of a more boring place in, in the world than Kansas. Uh, I, I've been through Kansas a couple times, and uh, every time I was just like, holy shit, there's nothing fucking here. Little it looks like the case. template that you use, like a blank template for what a state should be. Like, all right, here's your template, here's Kansas, and now you can put whatever you want here. You can put some put some cities, but instead you just left it as Kansas. You just left the template, and then you have Kansas. Yeah, we, uh, being in Colorado, um, every now and then we would have camping trips to Kansas or Nebraska. Oh. And it was just, I mean, you, Why? you, I don't, we had friends who had like a family like gathering out there every other year or something. They had an RV and they would take it out and set it up on a random lake, like just across the border. And we would go out there and just literally do nothing. Um, yeah. So that's why I know I, I live in San Francisco. My favorite part of driving through Kansas is uh, that first minute when you're in Colorado and you see a mountain peering <laughs> out of the sky. You're like, holy shit, I There's am something. still in the world. There's still things here. Very true. Um, getting back on topic. The game that we haven't mentioned that I think deserves some mentioning <laughs> is uh, Washington at Stanford. That's got some huge uh, implications to it. Um, not as much as if Stanford would have beat Washington State, but it's still uh, it's still a big one because if Stanford wins against Washington and uh, Washington beats Wazoo in the Apple Cup, which seems all but inevitable, uh, then Stanford wins the Pac-12 or the Pac-12 North. Yeah, and then it would be probably is it uh, USC still up for Pac-12 South? Uh, yeah, I think USC beating Arizona pretty much gave them the South. Yeah. Um, there, there's still some possibilities for everybody else, but really. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be a good one, too. Especially, I mean, with the Bryce Love contention and everything like that. he's He's been drawing a lot of really good, good feedback nationally, but this is going to be the one where he really is able to step it up on a national stage. Um yeah, USC pretty much just uh, took the South. I'm just, I'm just looking into it now to verify. But Arizona yes. is uh, four and two in the conference. Arizona State is four and two in the conference. USC is six and one. Yeah. Uh, USC would have to lose out, and I think uh, I mean Arizona State obviously would have to be the one to win out because USC has the head-to-head against Arizona. State. So. I believe yeah. that that would be the if Arizona State wins out and USC loses out. I, I don't know how that tiebreaker happens because you guys haven't played each other, right? No. Yeah. So okay. USC would take it anyway. So USC has the South. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody else is in contention. 
Well, I know. I, I, I was really excited for the possibility of uh, Arizona winning the South and Stanford winning the North. Just because everybody at the beginning of the season was like, oh, the North is going to go through the Apple Cup and USC already has the South. And I was like, what? You just wanted to fuck everybody over? Yeah, I was like, what if that, what if that wasn't the case? <laughs> what if that didn't happen? What if the Pac-12 was like, oh, you, you think this is going to happen? Oh, well, how about a big fuck you? Here's Arizona and Stanford. If anybody could do it, it would be the Pac-12. But Alas. It, it's looking more and more like that. But hey, if the Stanford Stanford wins against uh, UW, then they have a, they have a chance to win the North. Yeah, accurate. Big game Friday. Speaking of, did you guys uh, did you guys see that Redskins game with the Seahawks? No. Yeah. It it was uh, it was heart pounding. I mean, it was just. I saw all everything over the up place. until the end. <laughs> Oh, it was it was it was quite the photo finish. Um, but yeah, it was a very good defensive game. I mean, both defenses just came out swinging, and yeah, God, it was it was a, it was much more interesting than the co- the score would indicate. Can, can you can you explain something to me though, Jay? Is is the issue with the running game for Seattle their offensive line, or is it their running backs? Because no, okay. so let me let me explain the reason I'm asking the question first. Go for it. Sorry. The reason I'm asking the question is because I've been hearing a lot about, well, if they could just fix their offensive line, you know, they could really get this running game going. And I'm looking at their running backs like, you know, Rawls once upon a time was good, but Lacey looks like absolute horseshit, and they're not giving the ball to Rawls enough for him to establish a rhythm. And so I can't really tell which where the problem lies. Yeah, and so here's what it is. Um, and here's my take on it. Uh, could be... You know, take it for what it's worth. But Seattle established themselves as the running team back when they had Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch's average point of contact was 2.5 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Um, but he was just so good at trucking forward that he made those runs work. And the then at the same time, contact. yeah, exactly. And uh, you could make that work again with really well with Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson was just so good at scrambling and getting out of the pocket that uh, he didn't really need, need the line as much. So they skimped on the offensive line saying, we don't need it. Look what we can do. But Interesting. with Marshawn Lynch leaving, now you have all these other guys that are coming in that can't do that because only Marshawn Lynch can, can play like that. That all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know what? Maybe we actually do need an offensive line. Uh, just because no one else can get those extra yards like Marshawn could, which okay. was kind of the key to that running offense. Because, yeah, Russell Wilson can still get out of the pocket, but if there's no running game, then that read option really isn't as much of a threat as it used to be. And that read option would then re- force the defense to be honest, and then you know you could open up downfield. Uh, so if you watch the Redskins game, they, they, were, they weren't rushing too much. They were just dropping deep into coverage because they don't have to respect the run game as much and as a result their secondary played out their their secondary played out of their minds uh that game yeah but you know they were able to drop a lot more because they didn't have to worry about the run because that offensive line just couldn't really hold them in check and you know kudos to the Seahawks they're doing a good job of getting in guys they're getting Dwayne Brown uh you know they the line's looking better than it used to but it's still not there right no, I think that's a great 
that's a great point. And it's also really interesting having that be, you know, what that issue is. And then you look at the Raiders now and, you know, they're not exactly faring a whole lot better because Marshawn came onto that team <clears throat> and it wasn't really kind of built around him. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing with a player like him is you have to have that line set up and on the same page as him. Absolutely. So, I mean, and the, the race, it's Yeah. And the difference there is Derek Carr is not going to pick up as much as Russell Wilson could. No. With his legs. Exactly. He's, he's much more mm-hmm. of a, of a passer and he's great at what he does, but he's just, he doesn't have that read option threat that uh, Russell did with Marshawn. Is Oakland's offensive line? I mean, I don't, I actually have as much as I should probably watch Oakland more. Um, I know they have a bye this week, but is their offensive line kind of in that same vein as far as like needing some restructuring or? I also don't know on that one because um, I also don't watch as much for greater football as I would like to. But... Well, guys, we're, uh, we're sitting here just over an hour and a half. Um... Well, if you take out all of the shit in the this, beginning. This is true. This is true. It's more about just time for editing to... for me. That's even fine, though. Honestly, that's perfect. Um, yeah. uh, it's just so we'll just end it with the same question. I always ask, what game, uh, what game are you guys excited to watch this weekend? Uh, yeah, let me give me a moment to think on I think that. Thurs- I think Thursdays will be good. I like what you said about Seattle, Arizona. I think it'll be an entertaining game, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, beyond that, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis. I would say that would probably be a decent matchup. Yeah, but to to quote Jay, that's just porn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, it's gonna it's gonna be a likely a very high scoring Steeler game. Yeah. Yes. Start all um, your Steelers. Yeah. Let's see. God, I, I there's just nothing. Saints Bills. I guess I've got two games that I'm excited about with the, with the exception of Pittsburgh, just cause I'm excited for every Pittsburgh game. Yeah. Uh, there's two games that I'm really excited about. And that is, Ooh, I want to say, wait, can I say Packers bears first? Yeah. You, that wasn't one of mine. Go for that's, it. Okay, that's a good rivalry game. That's, that's the only reason I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I always look forward to that game every year, but anyway, continue. Yep. Well, it also is nice cause, because you've got, you've got a first year quarterback who actually has a chance against a struggling green Bay team too. Well, you have yeah. uh, you have two first year quarterbacks, hypothetically. I mean, I know Brad Hundley's uh, been in the league for a couple of years now, but he's yeah, you know, yeah. it's his first year starting. He and technically he... has less starts under his belt than Mitchell Trubisky. Yep, um, that'll actually be a really interesting quarterback matchup for it. So. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. The, the two games I'm excited about are uh, Dallas at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> partially, I'm excited to see whether or not Ezekiel Elliott is still a player or not. Um, <laughs> because every fucking so, time dude, that guy's been the ultimate forth. fantasy tease this season it's just oh he's suspended Ugh. and then like a few hours later like oh just kidding i've I wasted so, so many picks on pickups on alfred morris oh. yep alfred morris and darren mcfadden just over yeah. and over like oh guess yep. i get to drop him again fucking sweet especially like as a woman, I'm sorry. I'm just like, just fucking put him in. Like, just, just get him out. Just like, let's just go. Come on. See, like, Stop being so really, indecisive. Just, 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 just get this over with. Be done. Come back next year. 
Anyway. Do you guys see the thing about Jerry Jones today, though? Go for it. Jerry Jones is uh, threatening to sue the league if they extend Roger Goodell's contract. <laughs> what? Yeah. Sorry. He, he's, he's getting owners together who are going to discuss it. Uh, he believes that he can get 23 owners on his side to out Jerry Jones or to out Roger Goodell. Uh, and if the owners vote to <laughs> extend Roger Goodell's contract, he has threatened to sue the owners. Okay. That's, I would love to see I what don't, the owners are. I don't really know where his, you know, where his standing is. But he's gone as far as to hire a lawyer to draft up the paperwork. That's interesting, I guess. I don't know. It's just kind of weird because it's like, it's like uh, you have a whole group of murderers <laughs> who are accusing somebody else of murder. And you're just like, well, yeah, I know Goodell is a shitty person, but, you know, you guys aren't saints. Yes. A hundred percent. That's why I'm like, I will be so interested if this comes to fruition to see the other owners that get on this get on either side of this because seriously no just yeah just no NFL owners in general are some pretty shitty people yeah I mean well allegedly allegedly there's no collusion (laughs) that's that's, uh your favorite word as a Steeler fan isn't it it's my allegedly it's my favorite word as a, uh, I don't even know what the right term is, but person who's not willing to just take accusations to mean guilt. Innocent until proven guilty? Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Good. Yeah, I, I, I totally believe in that in the justice system, but as a private citizen, I'll accuse the shit out of people. That That's true, but like when, you know, when you, when you look at like, like... Jerry West, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, I mean, it's case-by-case thing. Yeah, it it is a case-by-case thing. And, like, when you get into cases where, like, yeah, you know, if 50 women come out against Bill Cosby and, you know, technically it's allegedly, but at the same time, there's 50 fucking women. You probably... And, like... (laughs) Where there's a lot of smoke, there's fire. Yeah, and, like, when you go and you look at, oh, Bill Bill O'Reilly settled one for, like, 30-some million dollars. It's like, yeah, you you probably did that one too. Yep. You probably Spe- wouldn't of, settle for 30 some million if you didn't actually do it and just want it to go away. You probably wouldn't do that. I don't know that you, I don't know you definitely well, wouldn't, but you I mean, probably wouldn't do that. Th- th- I mean, that becomes a cost to benefit analysis of right. W- will, will all the lawyers oh, and court fees that I have to go through, uh, be worth more. And and generally, and especially like a in sexual assault uh, claims against colleges and college players, a lot of times they'll just settle outside of court because mm-hmm. the the school's like we're gonna have to pay more than it's worth. Yeah. So to to finish this off, the second game that I'm excited to see this weekend. Uh, oh yeah. And and I'll only actually get to see one of these because they're both on Fox and they're both at the same time. So I don't know which one the show's actually or my TV's actually going to show. Uh, New York at San Francisco. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that actually has a chance Niners. to be 
interesting. Yeah, when you put two shitty teams together and you make them play, like it's, it just becomes the CFL. <laughs> All right, you guys. I'm going to bed. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. All right. See All right, you later. Talk to you. Bye. <laughs> dream of getting to grope Terry Cruz's balls is never going to come to fruition. <laughs> <laughs>